This is Marcus Sheridan, author of They Ask, You Answer, A Revolutionary Approach to Inbound Sales, Content Marketing, and Today's Digital Consumer. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Also, if you're listening to the show right now, and you're not driving or operating dangerous machinery, please hop on Twitter and tell us where in the world you're listening from. My Twitter handle is Marketing Book. Today we're joined by Marcus Sheridan, and we're going to talk about his new book, They Ask, You Answer, A Revolutionary Approach to Inbound Sales, Content Marketing, and Today's Digital Consumer. Called a web marketing guru by none other than the New York Times, the story of how Marcus was able to save his swimming pool company, River Pools, from the economic crash of 2008 has been featured in multiple books, publications, and stories around the world. Since this achievement, Marcus has become a highly sought-after global speaker and consultant in the digital sales and marketing space, working with hundreds of businesses and brands alike to become the most trusted voice in their industry. And little-known fact, in high school, Marcus was the captain of the football, wrestling, and baseball teams. Marcus, congratulations on They Ask You Answer, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks, man. <laughs> you busted out a good old stat, man. I think you're the first person to ever bust that stat out there. So uh, thank you for that. It's a pleasure to be on here, buddy. Well, I'm excited to have you here. And I, I just, you know, full disclosure, the listener has to know that if there's ever a uh, an opportunity for me to seize power of the Marcus Sheridan fan club. I'm going for it, buddy. I, <laughs> I am going to, I will not be elected, but I will seize control. Just to give you an example of that, your podcast, which I love, is called the Mad Marketing Podcast. Do you know how many episodes you have published? As of this recording? I think probably 122 or 21, something like that. Well, I don't even know. You've published... I, I, honestly, I don't know because I, I, I mix that up with the Hubcast sometimes. You do. So I don't know. Which is another one that I listen to. I spend a lot of time with you, Marcus. You just don't know that. So... Uh, looking on my smartphone here, 107 episodes of Mad Marketing have been published. Do you want to guess how many I've listened to? 103. 107, my friend. I have listened to every episode, and I strongly recommend it for the listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast. Oh, that's nice. So I met you in 2012, and I want to tell the story of how I found you, because this is going to have relevance to what we're going to talk about. In 2011, you know, my agency, I, I was looking at making a move away from the traditional advertising into maybe becoming uh, more, you know, going more about inbound and content marketing. I was looking at the HubSpot product. I was in touch with HubSpot. And it's because I had downloaded a bunch of stuff from their site and they called me up one day and said, hey, we saw you downloaded a bunch of stuff. Did you find what you were looking for? And that led to a conversation and I was thinking about buying it. So I went and I Googled HubSpot reviews, which I did just an hour ago. And there was an article from this dude who was in Virginia <laughs> where I am. And it was the sales line. And I read that and I, I became a customer. I became a customer like a week after they called me. I must have been the shortest, easiest sales cycle for them. 
And then I met you at the uh, inbound conference at, at 2012. So anyway, you had written an article about reviews uh, of HubSpot, and that's how I first found you, and you pulled me in, into your web. My, my web. You know, it's funny. That was that's a classic example of, as you know, something that's in the book, because people are obsessed with reviews. And, and that has been one of the most profitable articles I ever wrote on the sales line. Uh, was that review of HubSpot early on. Yeah, and I remember I even asked you about it when I first met you, and you said, well, you know, it was the end of the month, and I contacted the sales guys at HubSpot. I think they may have even helped, you know, spread it out there. And it's interesting, and we're going to talk about that. I want to just read one excerpt from the book, which was just one of my favorites. You know, I thought I knew Marcus Sheridan and everything. I've even, I should disclose that I've, I've done a day of training with you as uh, on how to do workshops, which I absolutely loved. But this one quote, it got to me as many of them did in the, in the book on page 34. Simply put, the greatest companies and modern day rule makers are obsessed with consumer fear. And they allow that fear to dictate their entire business model. And they do this because they know if they are able to eliminate all fears and negative emotions from the buying process, the only emotion left to feel is trust. Mm. So, Marcus, can you briefly tell us the story about Krista, who wrote the foreword to the book, and how that becomes sort of the cornerstone of of your book and, and your whole story? You know, I started my company today, The Sales Lion, because it was just going to be a blog, okay? And I just wanted to talk about this cool stuff I was doing with my swimming pool company. And so it seemed like nobody really listened. This was November 2009 when I started thesaleslion.com. I didn't think anybody was really listening. And it wasn't for about 12 to 18 months did I start to get some feedback. But when the first main piece of feedback I got was from a gal, a CMO named Krista Catrola, and she was uh, working for this company called Block Imaging International. Now, what Block does is they sell refurbished medical imaging equipment. So, like, they'll take an old MRI machine that's been put out to pasture, they'll refurb it, and they'll sell it to a health organization that can't necessarily afford a new one. And she said, Marcus, I believe in the stuff that you're talking about this whole they ask you answer thing. And I want to become, as you say, the Wikipedia of our space. But the problem is when I go to my sales team, when I go to my leadership team and I say, hey, help me produce this content, these articles, these videos, of course, they said, well, that's nice, Krista, but you see, I'm in sales and you're in marketing, so I'm going to go sell and you go do your marketing. And so she was confronted with what is the same problem so many other marketers are confronted with around the world right now. I think it's the biggest issue, and that's buy-in. And she said a statement that changed my life. She said, Marcus, will you come out to my organization and convince my sales and leadership team that they want to be a part of this thing that you and I call content? And that was the day, literally, I pretty much stopped being a pool guy and said, I need to do something else. I need, there's something more that I'm supposed to do. And of course, I didn't realize it though, Douglas, but she was going to quit block imaging and she was so frustrated. She was at wit's end. And so this was her last final straw attempt to do what she knew could help the company because the company was in financial trouble. And to make a long story short, they embraced content inbound and they just exploded. And she wrote the forward to the book for that very reason. She's had a major impact on my life. And the numbers 
the <laughs> the proof and the pudding are staggering. It's just amazing. Well, that's one thing I'm proud of, by the way. You can read a lot of content marketing books, but you can't read a lot of books that include numbers. This book, it, it's got a lot of numbers. It, it's like people always want to know ROI, real ROI. Krista has generated over $20 million in revenue that she can account, like directly attribute her, her content, her digital marketing efforts um, to $20 million in revenue. That's what it's all about, in my opinion. And I'm really proud of that. So, Marcus, let's go just one step before that and briefly explain the story of your swimming pool company, what happened in 2008, and when you and I, you know, I I tell this story a couple times a month to other people. <laughs> I hope I have it right. I think I do. And you were about at the end of your rope, and what you did that ultimately turned everything around. Yeah, I'll give you the quick uh, 101 uh, because it, you know, as you as you can tell, it's it's a book. But the essence is this: started this swimming pool company called River Pools in 2001, and things were going okay up until about 2000. And eight, and of course, if anybody remembers that year, that was when Lehman Brothers and the stock market and the banks and, and the automotive uh, manufacturers, just everything started to crash. And that was a very difficult time for pool guys. And in fact, to this day, many of those pool companies don't exist uh, that existed in 2008 because of this crash. People couldn't get loans for pools now, and nobody was looking for pools, and we almost went belly up. In fact, people were asking for their deposits back. Yeah, in fact, in the first in the first forty eight hours, I had five people withdraw their deposit after the crash that they had put on a pool, and they said, "We just can't do this, Marcus." So we, I lost a quarter million dollars in business in the first forty eight hours after the crash, and then by January two thousand and nine, I was three weeks. I had been overdrawn in my business bank account. My sixteen employees were sitting at home. It was the hardest, most stressful, difficult time of my life, and it, you know, it, it seemed like. When it couldn't get worse, it just kept getting worse. I, you know, I was the boxer that had been knocked out of the ring, and I was just looking over the precipice of losing, you know, physically everything other than you know my wife and kids. And that's when I discovered the principles of inbound of content, and you know, all these technical phrases to me simply said, Marcus, if you're just willing to hear the questions. And if you're willing to answer those questions through text and video on your website, you just might become successful. And so our forward philosophy as a company became what is, of course, today they ask, you answer. And to make a long story short, we did it. We were just incredibly prolific with what we were willing to talk about and address on the website through text and video. And it became the most trafficked swimming pool website in the world. And today we're getting... Uh, over half a million visitors a month. And it saved the company. We're manufacturing pools as well today. So we're a B2C and a B2B. And it's incredibly prosperous. And uh, it's an amazing story. And it's all because we said we're going to be the best teachers in the world when it comes to fiberglass pools. <laughs> as a matter of fact, we're both here in Virginia, not too far away. And I was talking to a client, CEO of a construction company, and your name came up when we were doing a workshop, as a matter of fact. And he said, oh, Marcus Sheridan, I've been on his website. I think I'm going to get a pool from that guy. <laughs> so I'm just trying to help you out there, brother. Cool. Cool. We'll take all we can get. <laughs> all right. So essentially, you were answering every question you'd ever gotten from a prospective customer. So yep. can you talk about the massive buying shift and the blur between marketing and sales that's occurred? 
Man, this is a big deal, Douglas, right? And it's crazy because I think this is why we have so much sales and marketing misalignment instead of alignment. You know, we we read all these studies and the number one study out there says essentially 70% of the buying decision is made on average in every industry in the world before someone actually talks to the company, before they talk to a salesperson, they're 70% home. And so if this number is true, and of course we have to accept that it is because these companies that do this are much smarter than us. And of course we can all just look in the mirror and realize it's true. Well, what are we going to do about it? Because the number, you know, 15 years ago is at 30%, let's say. Today's at 70%. Where's it going to be over the next 5, 10, 15 years? And what's that mean for sales teams? What's that mean for the way that we sell in, in gender trust? And so this is huge shakeup that's happening. And essentially what it means is if we are not obsessing over earning the trust, aka the sale, earlier in the process, we're going to lose. And so the questions that before we thought we could save, the answers to those questions we could save until we were face-to-face with the prospect, we can't do that anymore. Can't The, the whole idea of, <laughs> if you have to ask how much it is, you can't afford it anyway. <laughs> call, for, call for quote. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's very, very dead. Very dead. And so we try to enable people to do what they want to do, which is learn everything they possibly can and get rid of every doubt, concern, issue, worry, fear on the front end so that they have enough confidence to call and say, I'm looking at that thing. I, I, I'd like to go with that thing. See, this is the essence of the way people buy today. And that's why we've got to be obsessed over this as, as organizations. Can we show it better than anyone else? Can we teach it better than anyone else? That is the essence of the Ask You Answer. But yet, explain the digital paradox. Well, the paradox comes in how we have a certain set of wants as buyers and businesses, they don't like to talk about the things that we want the most. And of course, in the book, we call these the big five. And they're the five subjects that literally they move the economy. So in other words, when somebody is buying something, whether it's a service, a product, they're going to engage a, a company, they research five things. Almost every one of them, if not all of them, every single time. And they are they want to know how much it is, cost questions, right? price questions. That's uh-huh. number one. They want to know what are the problems with the thing. In other words, what are the negative issues with, what are the problems with that company, that widget, that brand, that technology? How could it blow up in my face? What are the drawbacks? Like, like, who are we not a fit for? That's right. Who are we not a fit for? That's exactly right. So that's the second thing. Third thing is people want to compare so they feel like they have vetted properly. They want to feel like, okay, okay, so I, get, I have a sense for the marketplace. I see your brand. I see that brand. I see that widget, this widget. I've compared them, and now I feel like I know who's best, who's not the best, I can make a decision. So fiberglass you, pool versus concrete. Correct. Correct. Um, the next one is reviews. We talked about that one, but that's prolific. I mean, people search reviews for every single thing in the world. And then the final one is, of course, best of questions. We love to ask, you know, like if I'm looking for a Mexican restaurant in, in your area, like the Newport News, Norfolk area, I might say, you know, best Mexican restaurant, Newport News, right? That's, just a, that's, that's a very common type of question that we ask, you know, best you know, best 48 inch lawnmowers, right? That's, I mean, this is like, this is how we think in this day and age. And of course it's B2B as well, you know, um, um, best consulting companies for law firms. Like this is how we roll. We don't search for the worst companies. We search for the best ones if we're looking for that particular one. And so companies, 
have to be willing to address these questions because somebody's going to. And we're being asked. But the problem is if we hold it close and we don't share it, there's a good chance they're never going to get to us in the first place, which is really scary. And of course, I give specific examples of this in the book. And of course, the most well-known one is how we, you know, and when we started the Ask You Answer in 2009, no pool guy in the world had wanted to address the silly question of how much does a fiberglass pool cost on their website. Nobody had done it. We addressed it. To make a long story short, today it's generated over $3.5 million in revenue. It goes up by half a million dollars a year. It's crazy. All because nobody had addressed it. And of course, because of tracking, like in this case, HubSpot, we can say $3.5 million in revenue has come from one piece of content that took me 45 minutes to write in my kitchen. And I didn't even say specifically what our pools cost because the answer is it depends. But I could explain it. I could explain the marketplace. I could explain what drives the cost up, what drives the cost down. Why are some pool companies expensive? Why are some so cheap? And every single company can do that very same thing, Douglas, regardless of what they sell. And that's why we've got to be willing to address these key subjects. And that's the paradox of once. Let's talk a little bit more about pricing costs. What are the reasons why businesses don't want to discuss prices? (laughs) This is great. Like you've seen me talk about this in in, in workshops and in, in, in when I do presentations. <laughs> See, it's, it's it's so funny because if you ask somebody if they are looking for cost and price, and if they go to a website and can't find it, what do they do? And they're like, "I'm out of there. I'm gone." I'm like, "Okay, so what do you do?" Well, I I search until I can find what I'm looking for, and then whoever gives me what I'm looking for, generally speaking, that's who I'm going to call. Like, oh, you mean you don't just dig further into the website? <laughs> that's right. You don't dig further. You don't call them and say, "Oh, that's okay. They're a value-based company." No, we move on. We research until we find. That's who wins the trust, and so we. We do that, but yet, as businesses, then all of a sudden we say, well, but, but you see, my company's different. And 100% of companies in the world, by the way, believe they're different, which is, which is <laughs> hilarious because ultimately – It's not 99% for the listener's benefit. It's 100%. No, it's 100%. 100%. 100%. And if you, if you break it all down, the same reason why people do business with you is the same reason why people do business with me. Because for some reason, they believe me more than the next company. That's it. They trusted me more. That's the tie that binds all of us. That's the battle we're in. We're all in the trust business. That's right. We are all. That's the one thing we can say, yep, we have that in common. But there's three reasons why companies say we can't talk about cost and price. The first one is because our competition will find out. What's funny about that is, A, if you look at it, if I ask a group of business owners, do you have a great sense as to what your competitors charge? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, I know. I'm like, okay, so if you know what they charge, it also means, yep, they know what you charge. And so it's the big secret, non-secret. It really is. It's a joke. Plus, plus again, we're not talking about putting a price list on your website. We're talking about addressing the marketplace. So that's number one, competition. It's a big farce. Number two reason why we can't do it is we say, well, it's a very customized solution, Marcus. Every job is different. Well, is it possible for you to explain what would keep the cost down? Well, yes. Is it possible for you to explain what would drive the cost of your product or service up? Well, yes. Is it possible for you to explain to me why some in your industry are so expensive and some so cheap? And of course, again, the answer is yes. That usually gets them going. They love to tell why their competitors are so cheap. Yeah, but you know, it's funny. I, you know how many manufacturers alone, manufacturers, 
I've had tell me, Marcus, I'm so frustrated because we're losing so much business to China. I'm like, okay, so do the Chinese make it as well as you do? Well, no. In fact, their product sucks. Okay, so how well do you explain the differences between your product and the way that they do it? (laughs) And then all of a sudden there's silence. They don't do it until they're face-to-face with the individual. By that point, they could have already vetted the marketplace and found that you're so expensive and have no reason to realize, oh, gee, just because this company's more expensive in the long run, I'm doing much better with them, so I should call them too. And so this idea of it depends is so easily explained. So that's the third reason we justify is because we say, well, Marcus, I tend to be one of the higher cost vendors or companies, and if we're more expensive than the competition, we just might scare them away. And what's crazy about that is we all agree that the thing that actually scares us away as buyers is when there is no mention of cost or price. That's what scares us away because the moment they don't talk about it is the moment they plant a seed of doubt. And when we experience seeds of doubt, online or off, Inertia occurs, we stop, we don't move, we don't take action, we don't buy. So there's a great concept in the book that I want the listener to understand. Please explain ostrich marketing. Yeah. Well, ostrich marketing aligns itself with what we're talking about. And it's this idea that if we ignore the problem, the question, that somehow (laughs) it'll go away if we just bury our head in the sand. Which like is price ostrich, or, like or downsides price. of our product. Or, yeah. See, every company has elephants that are in the room. And we have a choice as an organization. We can either take the elephant, leave it in the corner, and let the buyer discover it themselves, at which point they become angry and they say, I don't like you and I'm not going to buy from you. Or we can make our elephants our strengths. We can come out and say, we can bring the elephant literally to the front door and say, this is our elephant. Are there any problems with our elephant? And so in my case, as a pool guy, I come out and say, it's, you know what? Fiberglass pools aren't for everybody. They don't get wider than 16 feet. They don't get longer than 40 feet. They don't get deeper than eight feet. And you can't get any shape or size that you want because we have limited shapes and sizes that you could choose from. But here's the but. If you're looking for a low-maintenance pool that's going to last you a lifetime, that's less than 16 by 40, less than 8 feet deep, and you can find a pool that fits your needs in terms of the shape and size, well, then it might be a great choice for you. And see, that's what I'm talking about. That's taking the ostrich and ripping its head out of the sand and saying, no, 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 no. We are not going to allow the marketplace to control this conversation. You see, companies have done this for years, and then they complain about third-party sites like Angie's List or like Yahoo Answers, or Better Business Bureau. The reason why these third-party sites have had their proliferation is because businesses weren't listening, weren't obsessing over the questions they were being asked, weren't thinking just like the buyer, the consumer. Instead, they were thinking like the business. It cost them big time. And for that reason, you have all these third-party sites dictating the wallets of entire industries. I think it's a crying shame. Marcus, Can you explain the following? You say that consumer ignorance is no longer a viable sales and marketing strategy. Yeah. So let me let me um, give you the perfect example of that. When I embrace, they ask you answer. This is in the book. One night I was in Richmond, Virginia. I met with this couple for about two and a half hours. Gave a quote for pool, and at the end they said, "Marcus, we like you. We really do. But." If we don't get this pool from you, is there anybody else that you might recommend? And I thought to myself, oh, I hate this question so much. And I didn't sell the pool that night, Douglas, but I did have a long drive home. And I did say to myself, well, 
they ask the question, which means I got to answer it because that's the rule. They ask you answer. So I went home that night and I wrote this article, who are the best pool builders in Richmond, Virginia, review slash ratings, right? And I came up with a list of five of the best pool builders in Richmond, Virginia. Now, let me just say, when I did this, my two business partners at first freaked out a little bit because they're like, oh my goodness, Marcus, you've just created a list of five of our biggest competitors. And by the way, I didn't even include myself on the list. People say, that's crazy, Marcus. What is wrong with you? <laughs> okay, well, this is what happened as a result. Today, if somebody's listening to this, if you go online and you search for best pool builders, Richmond, Virginia, of course, you're going to find us. If you go online and you research our competitors, like reviews of our competitors and stuff, generally speaking, you find us. In fact, I had a lady come to me a few years ago. This is, this is great. It's in the book. And she said, Marcus, the craziest thing happened. I was so close to signing a contract with Playmore Pools, who was our biggest competitor in Richmond. And she said, before I signed that contract with them, I decided to go online and research vet their company. And as I was researching their company, I stumbled across this article that you guys had written. I said, my goodness, these guys are so honest. I should probably call them too. And of course, you know what happened because otherwise I wouldn't be telling the story, right? That article made us $150,000 in sales that year. But some people, when they hear me tell that story, they say, well, aren't you afraid? You've now introduced them to the competition. And I frankly do not believe people are dumb. I do not believe that at any point in time, somebody doesn't realize they can say, hey, Siri, tell me who the best pool builders in Richmond, Virginia are. Everybody gets that at this point. In other words, consumer ignorance is no longer a viable sales and marketing strategy in 2017 and beyond. It's done. It's gone. And I just have to enter a, a personal note here. I did this. You don't know about it, but in my area, which is Norfolk, Virginia Beach, also called Hampton Roads, I put a list together of all the marketing agencies, design firms, website companies, ad agencies in my market. And uh, because I knew Google was, people were searching for that. So I have the definitive list. There's like 57 companies on there now. It's number one on Google. <laughs> all, this, all these people searching for, and, and I'm not listed, but they're on my site. So this is, it's a great list. And the main reason I did it was because I was trying to show a client how they could do it for their industry. And they were like, oh, Wow. In other words, I'll bring Google up during the conversation. I'll say, now type in here, you know, this, and they'll see it and they'll go, oh, now I see what you did. It was sort of the, the wax on, wax off moment. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's such a preposterous idea. I mean, I was the first person to espouse, you should be writing a lot about your competition on your website six years ago. And I've done this in multiple industries. I love hearing from people like you that have done it. But the reality is they're asking, and we may as well own that conversation. Because if we don't own it, somebody else is, and there's a very good chance that they're not going to end up coming to us. And that's where the loss is. You know, in the book, you argue that, well, you explain that you've, you've done a lot of training for your own industry. And you argue that over 90% of the time, even though companies have been taught or shown how to do it, they still won't embrace, they ask you answer. Why? Yeah, Why it's, is that? It's nuts. Well, it's the ultimate, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make a drink story, right? And for some reason, most people, there's a reason why most people could never be a farmer. 
is because they won't plant the seed, they won't nourish the crop, and they won't do what it takes to let it grow so that they can have a harvest. And they would rather throw a bunch of money at a, quote, campaign and get results tomorrow in their mind. And it's never sustainable. It's never built to last. And so this, you know, you say, people say to me sometimes, is this stuff going to be around in 20, 30 years? I'm like, is this a fad? Because if you're saying, is, is, is this a fad? You don't understand really what content marketing or any of this stuff is. Because as explained in the book, we, we've used content marketing as your company's ability to be the best and most helpful teachers in the world of what you do. It's that simple. And so if someone had said to you, is teaching going to be critical in terms of your success as a company in 20, 30, 40 years? Anybody would say yes. Is solving the problems of your buyers critical to your business in 20, 30, 40 years? Anybody would say yes. Now, is content marketing critical to your business? Well, not everybody's going to say yes to that. And that's why we really got to be careful about the way we talk about these things. And that's why so much of the, you know, a good portion of the book is on the marketing side, but then there's this huge portion on the sales side because we have a huge buy-in problem. And we've got all these, quote, marketing books out there that are talking about content, but they're really not addressing it from a sales standpoint. And so I wanted to produce a work that would bring the two sides together, that would make the light bulbs come on on both departments and have true alignment, which I've been able to achieve over and over again with companies over the last six years. It's been amazing, just like Chris does with Block Imaging. And, um, and when they get that, man, it's so neat to see this in action where you have a true, quote, revenue team instead of this huge silo effect that you see in so many organizations. Yeah, you explained that they ask you answer actually has more to do with sales than anything else, particularly marketing. Well, you know, it's funny. You take a company like HubSpot. I think the biggest mistake HubSpot made early on was calling it marketing automation. Because really what it is, it's an advanced sales tool that happens to do marketing actions as well. I mean, that's what it is. That's what it is. But they screwed up and they called it marketing automation, as did Marketo and Pardot and all of them. And if you if you look at content marketing, you see, it's funny. If you want to get something approved like an initiative in an organization, you call it sales. If you want to get it rejected or tabled, you call it marketing. This is how it works. It's a shame, but it's true. And so unless we, unless we can always tie things to revenue, it's hard to justify it. And that's why I was obsessive in the book about, okay, if I have a case study, I'm going to talk about money. What was the bottom line impact on their organization? Otherwise, the case study doesn't make the book. Yeah, and it's not about how to get more Facebook likes and all those other things that meaningless metrics that you know so many marketing people or the people that employ them are asking them to keep track of. Yeah, I mean, it's just vanity metrics that if you've ever looked over the, the financial precipice as I have, you stop caring about vanity metrics really, really fast. And you say, what can I do to pay my employees and to keep food on their tables and to survive? That's what you're thinking about. Let's go back. Can you explain the the principle of disarmament, which you say is arguably the least understood element of great communication and copy online and offline? Yeah, online and off because a lot of sales teams don't understand this either. So disarmament is, is essentially this. Whenever you are selling something, people expect you to be biased. So even if you're producing some type of um, educational piece, and they know you sell something that has to do with that educational piece of content, they're going to expect you to be biased. 
And so disarmament is the process, much like a hostage negotiation, where the first thing you do is say, just put your weapons down. So somehow we have to help the viewer, the listener, the reader put their weapons down. Instead of leaning back with their arms folded, lean in with their arms open. How do we do that? It is by disarming them using this principle. And so, for example, if someone says to me, Marcus, what? tell me why I should get a fiberglass pool over a concrete pool. Well, you see, this is a classic, uh, this is a classic scenario of where a salesperson or a marketer would mess up because they would just sit there and espouse all the glories of a fiberglass pool. But if you're going to do an article or a video the right way, or if you're going to explain this to somebody in a sales situation the right way, it would sound something like this. Let's just say I did it as a video, right? We'll just make this the intro to the video. One of the questions that we get asked most often here at River Pools is, so Marcus, tell me why I should choose fiberglass over concrete. That's a good question. But there's something that you need to know. Number one, you need to understand that here at River Pools, we only do fiberglass pools. But at the same time, we understand that fiberglass pools, they're not the best fit for everybody. In fact, there are times when concrete pools are the better option. And so what this video is going to do, it's going to show you the pros and the cons of both types of pools. And this way, at the end of the video, you should have a great sense as to which is the best choice for you. You see, I did multiple small things at the beginning of that video there to disarm you. I said, I, I addressed the elephants in the room. I said, we only sell fiberglass. I said, we accept that fiberglass isn't for everybody. And then I said the tough one for vendors to say, and sometimes the competitors is the better option. See, nobody ever likes to say that. But because I said that, now instead of folding your arms and leaning back, you've opened up, you're leaning in, you're listening well, and you're saying, oh my goodness, this guy is different. I trust him. And now, now hopefully, I am going to win the game. Yep. It reminds me of the the joke I hear where the the person goes to the car dealership and the car salesman says, what brings you here? (laughs) And they say, well, I'd like to buy a car. And the car salesman then says, have I got the car for you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No questions, you know. No questions. No questions. Same as same as the doctor that says, you know, where's it hurting? And you point to your head and say, okay, well, let's let's schedule surgery. Wait, <laughs> right. come on. What are we doing here, people? What are we doing? And um, and so we don't do this enough. Online and off is a principle of great communication. It's emphasized in the book, and and it's just something that if you really look for it, you'll realize just how bare most content is in including the principle of disarmament. Yes. And can you talk a little bit about the the benefits of the sales team embracing the ask you answer and and talk about assignment selling? Oh, dude. Um, I could go on and on with this one because I believe in it so much. I have plenty of audio tape. Yeah, I I think content is the greatest sales tool in the world um, by far, assuming it's honest and transparent. And when companies, especially sales teams, start to produce content and utilize said content, it changes everything. So there's two sides to this. Number one, they're the subject matter experts. Sales teams are usually in most organizations. Okay, And so if they're the subject matter experts, they're the ones that are hearing the questions. They're the ones that are giving the answers. They're the ones that should be essentially producing the content, the ideas for it, and 
and marketing's job is to is to make them look like stars. Is to facilitate that. the The power lies herein. The moment a salesperson starts to produce content for the company, they naturally become a much better communicator, a subject matter expert of that subject. Also, they become much more interested in the company's marketing efforts. They own it more for themselves. They become more engaged in sharing it. And then on the sales side, see, the idea at this point is this. This is what we try to teach sales teams. If if you as a salesperson, if the first time a prospect sees your face and hears your voice is when you are finally face-to-face with them, you have failed. You have failed, which is usually the first sales appointment. Because at this point in time, our obsession should be they need to hear my voice, read my words, see my face, understand my philosophies and doctrine before they ever meet me face-to-face and hear my voice. That's what's possible through the power of video through the power of content and that's what sales teams have to be doing you know and you know i was really this manifests itself to me when i started integrating content into the sales process because in the, i talk a lot about this in the book but one powerful thing that happened to me and i don't remember if it's in the book or not but when i started to use video for years i would when i was still a pool guy and i would go to a sales appointment i would knock on a door uh, you know five six o'clock at night and I would always hear a little kid in the background say, Mom, Dad, pool guy's here. I heard that for years, Douglas, for years. I think you did mention that in the book. Yeah, and then when we started to integrate video heavily into the sales process, one night I knocked on a door and all of a sudden I heard something that would just fundamentally change my life. I heard, Mom, Dad, the guy on the video is here. And my goodness, that was a different sales conversation. Very, very different because they had seen my face. They knew my voice. They know your name. They know your philosophy. That's powerful. And you don't spend 20, 30, 40 minutes, you know, building relationships of trust. <laughs> right. They, they'll they say things like, I feel like I already know you. Exactly. You get that with the podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. All the time. It's, it's so powerful. It's so beautifully intimate. And so this is where we are. This is what we have to provide. But I have to say this too, Douglas. I have to say this because I'm thinking about this and I, I got to make one mention of this. This What we're talking about here goes beyond sales and marketing. This is a philosophy. It is a business approach. It is the obsession with the way the buyer wants it. And it comes in many questions and excuse me, many forms. It could come in the form of a question where you're willing to address it on your website. It could come in the form of, I would rather buy it this way. And then you say as a company, well, is it possible that we do that thing? Is it possible? And that's the essence. And if you look at the companies that are changing rules in industries, like flipping the industry on its head and everybody's saying, holy crap, what just happened? We better hurry up and do something about this. Otherwise, we're all in trouble. Like those are the ones that fundamentally understand they ask you answer. You know, it's funny. People, the Henry Ford story is one of great glory and great fall. And they love to talk about how Ford 
he did something that nobody had done. He mass produced and it was all great. And they love to quote this thing where he says, you can have any model T, you can have any color you want as long as it's a color black, right? <laughs> You've heard that quote yes. before. That was also his downfall. That's why he almost lost Ford is because the marketplace wanted more. And he, at this point, he got to the point where he said, nope, this is the way I've been doing it. And this is the way we're always going to do it. Yep. And he almost lost it. And so many companies fall in that same trap. And fundamentally, we've got to be more obsessed with the way they want it, which is why if they want to learn on video, we've got to be willing to produce video because that's where they are. And they don't care if you or I like video, if we watch video, if we are good on video. They don't care. What they care about is can they learn about the thing in their way? That's all they care about. And that's our job. Real quickly, let's explain assignment selling and how it worked for you all. And I think the number 79 or 80% comes up at the end. Yeah. So assignment selling occurred um, for me in 2013. I was looking um, at two groups of people from my company website, from my swimming pool company website. Both had filled out a form and said, I want to get a quote from you. And so one group didn't buy. One group did buy. So I said to myself, what is the difference between the group that did versus did not buy? Like, why? What's happening here? And the number 30 just kept jumping out. And that number 30 represented total pages viewed. And so this is what we found. If somebody read 30 or more pages of the website before the initial sales appointment, they would buy 80% of the time. <laughs> if they did not, the closing rates were closer to 25%. And so I said, my goodness. Content is our greatest sales tool. And that's when we integrated sales into, excuse me, content into the entire sales process. That's when instead of just going out to the house, we made sure before we got there, they'd watch certain videos, read certain articles, hit those 30 pages. That's what took us to incredible closing rates. I mean, just like mind-blowing. You know, when the economy was amazing in 2007 and you could get like if you had a if you could breathe, you could get a swimming pool loan from a bank in 2007. That year, I sold about 70 pools and I had to go on roughly 230 sales appointments that year. Right? So you can do the math on the closing ratios. Um by 2013, we sold 95 pools in order to sell those 95 pools we went on roughly 120 sales appointments. <laughs> Just, I mean, it's stupid. And that's that's called math, and so you can't argue with it. No. And as I understand it, you would say, you'd call the prospect back and say, hey, if you don't have a chance to read it, that's fine. We'll just reschedule. And, and, it, and most of them would say, oh, yeah, we did read it. And that eliminated a lot of the tire kickers. Well, the simple fact is this. If somebody doesn't want to take the time to become educated about your product or service, it means they're basing their decision to buy on one single variable, which is the price. And so if that's the only variable in the decision, well, I can just email them a price. I'm going to lose anyway. So why am I going to go out to the house, drive there an hour and a half, two hours, sit with them for two, three hours, drive back two hours? Like, why am I going to do that? I don't need to practice selling. And so many of us continue to practice selling. Just like so many sales teams, do you realize on the average first sales appointment, 80% of the questions are the exact same questions every single time. Yet, sales organizations allow their sales team to continue to answer those same 80% of questions. But that's not where the money is. The money is found in the 20% that are unique and specific to that prospect's needs. And the, the better you are at sales, the quicker you get to that point. So, Marcus, 
If readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I would hope that they would say, we need to be the best teachers in the world about what we do. And currently, we're not. So what do we have to do in order to be just that? Well said. What books have inspired your work and career? I think the number one book that inspired me, which many people I know have said, was How to Win Friends and Influence People. I think that really is the Bible of human relations, of communication, of psychology. And it's one of those that instead of reading 100 books this year, you should read that one 100 times. It's as true in 1947 or whatever, whenever it was published. 30s, I think. Yeah, as it is today. And that's that's what makes something beautiful, is when it can withstand the test of time like that. And so I think that, to me, has that's had the greatest impact on anything that I've ever done was that. Yeah, and can you talk a bit about the, the impact that Jim Rohn has had on your life and career? Jim, Jim Rohn was, to me, magical. And, and, and really, that's, I, I, I know that's where my career is headed. Because Roan had this ability, and for those that haven't listened to him before, it's R-O-H-N and uh, Jim Rohn. And he was actually Tony Robbins' mentor. And so before Tony Robbins became Tony Robbins, he was working for Jim Rohn. And Jim Rohn, is, he was really the, the godfather of personal development along with Zig Ziglar during the 1980s and 90s. And so... Rohn had this magical ability to, to, to mesh the personal and the professional because he taught principles and he was able to apply them to your entire scope of life, again, business or professional. And because of that, everybody left saying, wow, that was so uplifting. He was a magical, magical man. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? That's a really good one uh, right there. And I'm trying to, you know, Joey Coleman is going to come out with a book later this year. Um, It's called The First 100 Days. I think it's going to be a landmark book on customer retention. I think it'll be, I think it'll be as big as Jay Bear's Hug Your Haters was, if not bigger, in terms of customer retention, customer service. Joey Coleman. A lot of people don't necessarily know Joey right now. He's going to be huge, and that book is going to be big. Mm, I'll have to see if I can reach out to him. That's that's great. I had not heard of that one. Appreciate that. We'll make sure to include links to that, as well as everything we've talked about at, at, on the show notes at, at marketingbookpodcast.com. Marcus, how best can listeners learn more about you and your new book? Yeah. Well, if you want the book, simple way to do it is just go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and type in they ask, you answer. I would love to hear from you if you're listening. I'd love to hear your questions, uh, any doubts or concerns you have, or just general, just need help. Email me, Marcus at the sales lion. That's the sales, L-I-O-N dot com. You can find me on Twitter at the sales lion. And of course, the website is the sales dot com. Final quote. Content, assuming it is honest and transparent, is the greatest sales tool in the world today. The name of the book is They Ask, You Answer, A Revolutionary Approach to Inbound Sales, Content Marketing, and Today's Digital Consumer. The author is Marcus Sheridan. Marcus, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. My pleasure. 
And that closes the book on episode 106 of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for links to all the things we talked about in this interview and free marketing guides from my agency. And while there, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking for a book recommendation or have a question or a guest suggestion, here's how to get in touch. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave a message or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett or send me a tweet at my Twitter handle, Marketing Book. I look forward to hearing from you. And please join us next time as we welcome Pamela Wilson to the show to talk about her new book, Master Content Marketing, a simple strategy to cure the blank page blues and attract a profitable audience. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.